Well, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts. And last week, we kind of left off with Paul and Silas being led to the place where they are by God's divine providence. That God, in spite of what Paul had in mind, God directed them to where they want to go. And I thought about that. You know, how many of us have planned to be here, but God wound up directing us to be over there to all the plans that we had? Paul was planning, but he was allowing God to ultimately direct where he was going. I wrote down here, you can't be so rigid in what you think your plans are to not be allowed to be directed by the Holy Spirit in what God may want for you. So we left our heroes off last week at verse 12. It says, from there we reached Philippi, a major city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We stayed there several days. So now we come to Paul's first opportunity to be in ministry. He had visited the churches. He was there. And verse 13 says this, on the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we supposed that some people met for prayer and we sat down to speak with some women who had come together. Now, I've read some commentaries on this and in in Jewish tradition, it took 10 men, 10 families to be able to institute a synagogue. You had to have a temple, you had to have 10 men, 10 leaders of a household there to do that. Obviously, they didn't have at least 10 believers there, 10 followers of of the Lord at that point. And if they didn't have those 10, they would designate a place outside for prayer. And generally it was by some kind of river or stream or or, a water source. So it appears that they did not have a contingent of believing men in this city. But the prayer was left up to the women. Does that sound familiar? Unfortunately. But just like today, in those days, it was unheard of to have women be a part of anything religious. The Pharisees had a saying. It says, it is better that the words of the law be burned than delivered to a woman. That was the the general consensus of women in in that time period. Now, some today have said that Christianity is demeaning to women. When in fact, Christianity is the only one that seeks to elevate women, to be equal in God's eyes. Who was the first person that Paul got to preach to? A series of ladies who were praying. Verse 14 says, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. So we have a very successful businesswoman and she had found her way from Thyatira to now in Philippi. The distance between those two cities was about 240 miles. So for some reason, God had brought her from Thyatira to Philippi. And a lot of folks that I read believed that the reason was she had to be in a place that God was sending someone to preach the gospel. Verse 14 tells us she was a worshiper of God. So she is a Gentile woman studying the Jewish faith. She's in a city She wasn't a full Jewish convert yet, but she openly worshiped God with those who were believing Jews. Here was someone who was seeking the truth, wasn't quite there yet, but was really seeking the truth. How many of you know people that they're trying different things because they really want to know the truth? There's something out there that they have an emptiness, they can't find it, and so they're doing various things in order to hopefully find something that's true. You know, someone, how many have ever been asked when you're talking about Jesus being the only way 
and they ask you, what about the people in deepest, darkest Africa? How many have heard that phrase before? I'm convinced that if they walk outside the door, Romans 1 tells us that they walk outside and they acknowledge that there's a God who created everything, that God is going to get them the gospel. This woman was moved 240 miles to a place where she's able to receive the gospel. I believe that God puts you in a place that you're able to receive it. If you want the truth, God will put you in a place to receive it. Now, it's up to you to receive it, but it will be presented to you at some point. Totally changed Paul's direction. Moved this lady 240 miles to put the two together. Amazing. We traveled about 110 miles yesterday. At 70 miles an hour, it took two hours. Can you imagine how long it took 240 miles with no means of transportation for her to get there, whether it was a boat or an ox cart? God put her in a place where she's able to receive. How many of you are praying for family and friends that are miles from where you are? You don't really have any interaction with them or not a lot. You have no influence over them, maybe because they live so far away. If God can direct these two people together, God can reach over the miles to talk to that person that you know needs Christ. Maybe that person's right next to you. Maybe that person lives in the same house as you. If God's able to do this, God's able to reach into the heart of the person you're praying for and change them as well. Verse 14 says, As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. Now, the way this is phrased means that she is, he was sitting there sharing his testimony in a, in a conversational form. He was not standing on a pulpit preaching to them. He was sitting kind of like eating dinner with them, just in a conversational form, talking to them about his personal experience. And it was because of that personal moment that he was able to minister to her. I think I've mentioned this before, but the statistics tell us that more people are led to Christ one-on-one -on -one than they are in any kind of a church setting. How many know that? They may receive truth at a church setting, but it's ultimately when you sit down with someone and talk to them one-on-one -on -one, that, they are, that the Bible says that God opens her heart to receive. Why? Because you're in a conversation with them, you're opening yourself up to them, and it's, it's not preaching, it's a conversation. How many of us have tried to share our faith with others only to have it rejected? <laughs> Notice who it says has to open their hearts. God has to open their heart. God has to be the one that changed them. Once God opened her heart, she was able to receive what Paul was saying to her. I've mentioned this phrase before, and you've probably heard it. You need to talk to God about your family before you talk to your family about God. Because God has to open them up to receive what you're telling them. If God doesn't open their heart up, what you say is going to just fall flat in front of them. We have to pray that God opens up the hearts of the people that we care about. Then, once their heart is open, they can receive the truth. Verse 15 says, she was baptized along with other members of her household. One conversation that Paul had resulted in the church in Philippi being born. One conversation. Can you imagine what happens if we just have one conversation with someone that we've prayed for, that God is working on them and is opening up their heart? Imagine what God can do with just one person. 
Philippi was the one church that we feel was the most personal to Paul. If you read the book of Philippians, most of us consider that to be the most personal of the books. There's no correction going on. There's no rebuking of false doctrine or problems in the church. Philippians was one. It was a conversation. It was him talking to friends. It was the most personal of all the churches that he wrote to. I want to look at the next couple of verses that sometimes we glance over without much thought. I know I've done it in the past. But you wonder why was this church so different for Paul? Why was it such a personal thing for him rather than just something that he goes in and starts and then leaves? Verse 15 says, after they were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you fully agree that I am faithful to the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we did. The church in Philippi started as a house church in the, in the home of Lydia. And I want to look, why, look at why it became such a personal thing to Paul. The first part of verse 15 or the ending of that, it says, she asked us to be her guest. I'm reading a book called The Comeback Effect. It's talking about, it's, it's geared for businesses as well as churches. It's a spiritual book. It's written in a Christian format. But it's talking about how to, how to talk to people when they walk into your church. When you have a guest that comes in the first time, how do we get them to come back? What, what makes them come back? This was Lydia's town. This was her home. Paul was a visitor. Never met him before in her life. And yet she opened up her house to him. Come and stay with us. She put herself out to accommodate someone who was brand new to the neighborhood. Never been there before. And we're going to bring this into today's settings. We want to apply this every week, especially during Christmas season. People's hearts are open to spiritual things in Christmas. A lot of people come to church that don't normally come during Christmas season. Most, I think most of us here consider this their home church, your home. We're the ones who live here. We're the ones who make it happen every week. We're the ones that come in late and decorate the platforms like a bunch of elves. I came in last night around 9 o'clock. And I looked in the platinum and I looked in the sanctuary and phew, it was amazing. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because it's, it's us who make it work. We're the ones who put our time and our money and our effort into building this church. This is our home church. But churches exist to bring people into relationship with Christ. How many realize that for the most part, churches don't exist for our comfort and our ease. How many know that? We enjoy the comfort that's here. We enjoy all that happens, but it's for a purpose. If I were to ask you what our vision is, what is our vision? Anybody remember what the vision is? Three simple phrases. Connecting to God, building people, offering hope. Our vision is meant to reach people who don't know Christ. That's why we exist. And the things we do here are a part of that. Because if we don't do part number one, connecting, to part to, connecting people to God, then we can't do parts two and three. Now, why am I saying all this? A lot of folks attend church that don't normally attend on Christmas time. 
family members invite other family members. We have a kids musical coming up and different things that we're inviting people. New, Ho New Life for Girls is coming. All those things that we're inviting people who maybe not, don't normally go to church. Whatever the time period is when people walk in our doors who have never been here before or maybe not have been here in a while, do we find the same hospitality that Lydia gave to Paul as a new person in town? She welcomed her into, him into her home. She put herself out. It, it ceased to become about her. It became about what Paul needed and what Paul could do and how they could bless Paul. Do we put ourselves out to make people who walk in as a first-timer feel welcome? Do we give up our personal wants in order to make that person feel like they are special? Here's a phrase you're not going to like. Do we give them great customer service? Isn't that what Jesus did for people? He made them feel special. They weren't a nuisance to him. They weren't a bother to him. He went out of his way to make them feel a part of what he was doing. He gave that person his attention. He showered them with what they needed. It was personal for Jesus and the people he ministered to. Our job, when people walk in, they walk in for a reason, they walk in for a purpose. Most people, when they walk into a church who have never been here, they need God, obviously. But they also need to see how God's people react to that. There's a phrase that has been bandied about lately, and it was actually attributed to Maya Angelou. She says this, people may not remember exactly what you did or what you said, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. How do we make people feel? When they come here, when they come to our home, how do we make them feel? Do we make them feel like they're special to us, that we're glad that they're here? You ever walk into a store and you need help and you see two employees talking to each other over there and not offering you any assistance? How do you feel? Do you feel ignored? Do you feel like you don't matter? You ever walk out of a store saying, I'm not going back there again? The way they treated me was terrible. When in reality, it was probably just one person who treated you poorly, not the entire store. But you get your impression of a store based on one person. You make a determination on the store based on one event. You see where we're going here. I'm going to share two examples that I, I probably have shared before, but they, they're meaningful to me in that I remember things people did. Now, this one I probably didn't share before, but when I was about, I used to always walk to school. We didn't have buses. Uphill both ways. Holes in my shoes, you know. But we would walk up to our elementary school, and I was probably six, seven, eight years old, I guess. And we walked past a car dealership. And the name of the car dealership was Walker Pontiac. And it was a smaller dealership. It was not how they are today, the big ones. But they were small. It was a storefront dealership. 
And I remember one day walking to school in the wintertime, I had lost my scarf. And so I, you know, I'm frustrated. I couldn't find my scarf. So I went in to ask some of the employees, did, I, did, you, did you find a scarf? No, they didn't find a scarf. So the next day I went up, and as I was walking past, one of the employees said, hey, come here, come here kid, come here for a minute. And it was Mr. Walker. He bought me a scarf. If I was going to buy a car, I'd buy a car at that dealership. How did he make me feel? Made me feel special that this, the guy who owned this company bought this kid a scarf. We were on vacation in Virginia once. Right after I got saved and we were on vacation, we were going, looking for churches to go to over the weekend and we walk into this one church and there was a lady at the front door who welcomed us, sat with us, took us to lunch, met us back at church at the six o'clock service and sat with us during that service. No clue who the pastor was, no clue who, what he preached about. I remember her. I'd go back. Why? Because you feel special that people actually care about you. Can you imagine how things might have turned out if Paul had been his usual gruff self and complained and argued about Mark and Barnabas and all, complained about the whole time? Do you think that Lydia would have responded the way she did? This guy's a complainer, man. All he does is complain about Barnabas and Mark and whoever's Mark. I'm not inviting him in. Point is, for someone to be open to God's heart, they have to be in a position to receive it. When you walk in, are you in a position to receive it? And like it or not, we are the ones who determine if they are in that position to do that. I've probably shared this before, and we, we borrowed a lot of money to fix the parking lot. Something we had to do for safety and appearance. But if you remember how it used to be in the wintertime, you'd step out of your car and step in three inches of ice and water. The person who walks through that is already walking in the church with their foot soaking wet, probably in a bad mood, and they're not going to receive what God has for them. Something as simple as a parking lot could affect someone getting saved because they've already messed their feet up. And it's easier for us to focus on a ministry or task that we have any given Sunday rather than on the person to whom we're ministering. The task focuses on what we have to do. Hospitality focuses on the feelings of the person associated with what we're doing. I read a great example of this. You're thinking, what's the, what's the difference? Task? Here's a good example. How many know about Jesus washing feet? Right? And a lot of times we use that as a great example of serving and just being humble before people. How would you feel if on every Sunday I would have visitors come up on the platform and I would wash their feet? I'm doing the task. I'm doing the ministry. But I'm thinking that the people would probably never come back. Thinking, this is crazy. What, what are you doing? The task was right. The hospitality wasn't there because you're not thinking about the person to whom you're ministering. You're thinking about getting the job done. You focus on what you're doing rather than the feelings of the person. 
And we as a church, we want people to truly feel loved and appreciated and welcomed. But we don't want them to feel like a visitor. Now, what do I mean by that? How many ever been to Target? How many like Target? Now, this is not a plug or a, a downing for Target or Walmart or whatever stores I happen to mention. It's just things I've observed. I worked in Target for about two months. Didn't work out well. But, and I was a stock boy at the time. One of the things they told us as stock boys, I'm ringing here so I can get back. They said, no matter what you're doing, I don't care if you're stocking something, unless you're a cashier, anything you're doing, if someone asks you to locate something, you're to stop what you're doing and walk them to where you know it is. You don't have to say, get down there and make a right, make a left, it's on the third shelf. No, you have to walk them to where you're going. You had to stop, I was stocking shelves, you had to stop stocking shelves and walk them there. A visitor gets directions and is left to find his own way. One who is loved and appreciated is taken there by someone who cares about the person finding the place to be. The point is, ever, even before we sing one song, hear one sermon, do the people who walk in these doors, do they feel loved and appreciated? Or do they feel like a visitor at some place that they aren't meant to be? Or worse, do they feel like an intruder in our house? Lydia's hospitality to Paul and his companions were very formative in his relationship with that church. One commentary I read said that Paul's most loved congregation was the Church of Philippi. And it became the center for Christian outreach and worship in Philippi. When people enter a church for the first time, their ability to receive is based on how they feel that we feel about them. You know George Barna? How many know the name George Barna? He's a pollster. He does mostly Christian polling. He did a poll of people who were visitors at a church, guests at a church. And how do you feel about that? What was your feeling? And the number one response he got by a large margin was welcomed, but ignored. They were welcomed and people shook their hands as they walk in, but at that point, they were ignored. You ever been greeted at Walmart? Walk in as a greeter, usually a greeter. Hey, welcome to Walmart. But once you pass that greeter and you get in the store, you ever try to find something? or try to find someone to help you find something. You're welcomed, but once you're in the store, you're ignored. I mean, again, generic comments. And that could be any store. We want people to truly feel welcomed and appreciated. Why? Because their lives matter to us. And more important than that, their lives matter to Jesus. And we have the ability to make that better or worse when they walk in. Do we encourage them? Do we love them? Do we, now, there's a point of, you know, you don't go all the way with people. You don't overdo. You ever been helped in a situation and the guy just keeps on talking to you? 
and you're, I'm good. I got what I wanted, thanks. And he just keeps on talking to you. We don't want to do that. We want people to feel welcomed and appreciated and loved, and we want to be sincerely glad that they're here. People attend church usually do it for God. But if we're all honest, we also do it with, for a sense of camaraderie and family. When I was in Florida, I first went to Florida before the Anna and the kids came down. The first thing I had to do was find a church. Why? Because I needed to be a part of a church family. And I went to several different churches. And each church reacted differently. I went to a 3,000 member church and that's a church you can walk in and walk out and no one knows if you're new or not. And I'm not downing big churches. I'm not, I came from a big church. And you can do that type of hospitality in a big church. But when you walk in and you walk out and no one talks to you and no one says hi or they basically just say hi, you have no reason to go back. Second church I went to was another larger church, not that big, but people talked to me. They sat with me, went to Sunday school class with me. It meant something. That's the church I became involved with. Not because, and they were both preaching the gospel. The difference was he had a family. He had friendships. I doubt if people would go to a church for very long if they knew nobody in the church and nobody ever talked to them. I doubt people would stay very long. In fact, most things you study on church ministry, church growth, tells you that everyone needs to be involved in not just the big church, but in a smaller section of a church. I was telling this to the teens today. We're talking about, you know, as they graduate and go on and get in life and as you know, things change. Friendships change as you get older. And I said, you know, Anna's, some of Anna's best friends to this date are the friends she made while working in the nursery with Amanda and Lauren, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. That's where you make your friends. That's, if that didn't happen, you don't know how that relationship would go. You don't know if you'd stay in church or not. People come to church because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And they want to be a part of something that God is using them to be a part of something that's bigger. Our job is to make people feel special because they are. They are. So I'm going to end with this. This isn't a rebuke. This is just a challenge. So when we arrive, it's good to talk and visit with those we know. But maybe we can do that shorter or at a different time. Be on the lookout for those who attend, who don't sit with anybody, who maybe look like they're not, they're new. Sit down, talk with them. Make them feel like we care about them. We don't want them to be welcomed, but ignored. They will not remember the songs that we sang. They won't remember what I preached but they'll remember that you made them feel special. And when their heart is open and they, they feel special like that, they are able to receive what God has for them. And maybe something that you say in your conversation is what challenges them. Nothing that I say, but maybe what you say to them. Maybe you pray for them. Maybe you tell them your story in between Sunday school and church. Maybe they develop a relationship with you. And then outside of here, you're able to share the gospel with them. You see how this works?
All of us are a part of what God's doing. This is a place we come and get energized and filled. It's like a gas station. You come in and get filled up and you go out and you spend the gas outside. Use what God's given you in here to move about. If they genuinely feel like you care about them, they're going to come back. They may not receive Jesus at first, but they're going to want that friendship that you've developed with them. They're going to feel special in God's kingdom and God's family, this, that this church cares about them. I get these blog posts every once in a while from various people, and one of them is like, the five worst things you can say in a church. And one of those things I remember was saying, I like our church the way it is. I don't want it to grow. That means you're inclusive. It means you don't want to reach people for Christ. You don't want to do things that are challenging. You don't want to do what God's called us to do. If you have little kids, as we're discovering as we get older, your family gets bigger. You saw that picture? We had four. Now we have like, what, 20? <laughs> we want to be able to expand like that and reach people with the gospel. Two things that are coming up. I talked to Joanne Rupert. She called me this morning. We're on for caroling at uh, the Senior Center on December 12th. And the second thing is the caroling that we're doing in town. I would like this whole church to come out for that. We get to partner with a couple other churches that he called me, the Dover mayor called me, asked me to be a part of this, asked this church to be a part of it. I want the entire contingent of this church to be down there, to let them see that we're not just the church on the corner, but there's 60, 70, 80 people that want to be a part of what God's doing. And you know what? You never know who you're going to reach, who you're going to minister to. And you get out in the community. It's not about being here. It's about being filled here and going into the community. So we want you to be a part of that. I will give you a sneak preview of next year. I'm making my calendar for next year of all the things that we're going to be doing outside of here. Because if we stay in here, we're going to be ingrown. We need to reach out. And we need to show people that we love them, we care for them, and more importantly, Jesus cares for them. And you know what? That could be the turning point in someone's life. Maybe they don't need a sermon. Maybe they need a friend. Maybe they need someone to really show them that you care about them. And then through that, they'll see Jesus in you. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you would bow your heads for a moment. Romans tells us, don't pretend to love people. Really love them. And it was easy as Christians to try to make people think that we love them. And after a while, people can see through that. We want people to see Jesus in us. 
We want people to see that we are different than most people, that we care about them, we love them, and we appreciate them. And we want them to know what we have. And the best way to do that is to be a part of their life, to try to show them through our actions, not just our words, but our actions, that we care about them. Do we meet their needs? Do we encourage them? Do we pray with them? Do we pray for them? Are we actively doing things to make a difference in someone else's life? Lydia gave up her house in order to house a couple of strangers that she didn't know because she knew that God was at work. We want to be that sensitive to the Spirit as well. We want to put what we want aside in order to reach someone to tell them that we love and appreciate them. And we want them to know the Jesus that changed our life. If you're here this morning, maybe in, you've been in this church for a long time or maybe this is your first or second time here. And you've been here, but you don't know exactly what we're talking about, a relationship thing. You've heard the term saved or born again probably in your lifetime, but you're not sure what that is. That just simply means that you've acknowledged that, hey, we're all sinners. We all sin. We also acknowledge that we can't make it into heaven with those sins. And that Jesus came and he took the punishment that should be ours to pay for those sins. And all we have to do is believe it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We just have to acknowledge it. The Bible says acknowledge with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then you're saved. That's all it means. And the Bible says at that point you will know that you have eternal life. If that's you and you really want to enter into this relationship that we're talking about, I want you to raise your hand real high. Father, I thank you that you have reached into each and every life that's here today. At some point, someone showed love to us and drew us into your family. We were encouraged and we were blessed by someone's actions that opened our hearts up to what God wanted to do in us. And Lord, I pray that you would fill this church with that same love that you have for people the same self-sacrificing that you have for people in order to reach some. Your word says, Paul says, I become all things to all people in order that some might be saved. Lord, we want to be what people need us to be in order to lead them to Jesus. I pray that you would give us the ability to do that, to recognize what it is people need and allow us to be there to meet that need in their life. Be it a conversation, a cup of coffee, just a friendship. Allow people to see Jesus in us. And allow people to see what Jesus does for people. And how he transforms us into people who love and care. So Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would fill each person here today. Allow us to leave open and sensitive to the things you have for us today and this week. 
and use us in those areas. And Father, we will thank you and we will rejoice in the fact that the God of the universe has chosen to use little old me to do something for eternity. And we ask it all and trust you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. We will see you here Wednesday. And don't forget, the 12th is caroling and the 16th is caroling at night. And sign up so we know how many people are coming.